Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and today we're talking about driving. I know, right? Driving on a motorsport podcast, but there's billions of motorsport and F1 podcasts out there just like us. So I always find it very surprising how little time is spent across all these shows talking about the actual art of driving and racing. There's thousands of hours of politics, uh, of logos, business deals, driver transfers, but hardly anyone talks about the art of actually turning a wheel. And here at Missed Apex, we are very passionate and big believers that F1 fans should get out there and do some kind of racing activity. Most football fans have kicked a football around. Racing fans should do a little bit of racing as well. And, and we're not being elitist. We're not saying you've got to go and buy a supercar and go and join in on a track day. We're, we're talking everything from like the Chris Stevens method of playing F1 with a controller and the racing line on. That's fine. Proper kart sims as well, like some of us try to put together. We put on karting days uh, at Buckmore Park on the 25th of April. Will be our seventh, I think, proper karting day. And we've got involved in track days as well with me and Gene Z even managing to get ourselves on track at Silverstone uh, with the 206 GTI Production Cup cars. Um, So also we'll be doing iRacing as well on the 7th of March too. So come and join us for that. Email me spannersready at gmail.com to get involved with all that stuff. Now, we're going to bring in two driver experts in just a little while, Brad and Alex, but uh, for the moment, let me bring my co-host on, Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going, Matt? It's great. I love the way you've conveniently uh, circular filed my getting out on track. No, because I'm really jealous, and I was so, so upset that I missed out on that. I've had my taste of Silverstone now. Uh, Sam Watley and the guys at the 206 GTI Production Cup got us out there. Very, very grateful. But you and Pip Hammond were out in his 
uh, race spec Nova. And it, it would have been fantastic for you and I to kind of go head to head and see how we did. Obviously, at Silverstone with the GTIs, I was up against Van Gene. Obviously, he's a race driver. I wasn't going to beat him. But I think you and I, that would be a fair comparison. If only, if only there was another opportunity coming up for you and me to get on track together. If only, if only. Who knows? Maybe it will happen. Maybe it will definitely happen on April the 27th. Yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Sounds fine. Is that Sounds the plan? Good. That's the plan, is it? Yeah, uh, plan. Last week, I made a terrible error, Matt. Do you, do you know what my mistake was? Yes, I do. In fact, you invited the audience to vote on a thing. Okay, so I, I cut short a conversation about two-stroke engines because the podcast had already gone on for 17 hours and I didn't think that that topic should continue. So I trusted you. I trusted you, the Missed Apex audience. I said, okay, fine. If we get 15 uh, emails, Twitter comments requesting that engine two-stroke show, we're going to go ahead and do it. And how many do you think there were, Matt? Go and take a guess. Um, it was a minimum of 15. I'm going to guess probably closer to like 30. I'll no, double it. It was like 60. So it was about 60 oh, people got in touch yeah. and requested this engine show. So as much as you might have enjoyed the great idea of doing it, you now actually have to produce and do it. Ah, well, th- that is always kind of the downside. But I, I think I'm in. I think I'm on firm ground with uh, Kyle and and Summers. I uh, might agree to contribute as well. So should be a pretty good show. You know, I, I'm really surprised the level of knowledge Kyle has about engines. Like I knew he was an engineer, but he just struck me as just this lovable bearded fellow who probably lived just outside the shed. I didn't even know he had a permanent residence. But no, he's got like a wealth of knowledge on sporting engines. So that'll be a lot of fun. And we'll get Summers involved as well. Uh, we've got Joe Saywood joining us on Tuesday. Uh, so that is when we're going to have a, a real close look at the Stroll Aston Martin story. Because I tell you what, Matt, some outlets out there have been chewing themselves up in knots back and forth between clandestine meetings, Mercedes about to quit their sport, Stroll about to replace Hamilton at Brackley. Yeah, it's. I think it's actually a great look behind the scenes. I, I've I've had this occur and seen it happen with other websites where you get a piece of something, but then you sort of overplay, overplay it. And a lot of times the knowledge will actually change what the players are doing. So you can also get caught up that way if you're referencing pretty yeah. much what I think you're referencing. So it it, it is, you know, from the back end. It's it can be a lot more fraught than you might imagine when you get a piece of news that's not yet public, entirely public knowledge. Oh, no, absolutely. And you've got to rely on your sources and sources can get things wrong or they can have different motivations. And it's very hard just to put your hand up and say, do you know, what? for whatever reason, we got that story wrong. We entered into it with the best of intent, but it kind of just it it went away from us. I've been speaking to Joe over the last week, and I'm very confident that Joe has a really good handle uh, of what's going on with all that stuff as well. And uh, we've had uh, contact from other people who could, who have some information. <laughs> Put it this way, Matt, we are going to understand some things. Like, And when we have understood things in the past, it's because people are very kind and, and they will talk to us. And I've learned a lot about managing sources. And it's been very frustrating when someone's come to me, told me something really juicy. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to say that on the podcast. And they've gone, oh, no, 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 no. We, you can't mention that yet. And you're oh, now, now I've got to choose. Do I annoy them forever and lose them forever? Or do I sit on this very exciting thing? But uh, we're reasonably close to this stroll story. So it's going to be quite exciting as it unfolds. 
Yeah, it is. And and despite all the focus on Lance as a driver and, and the extended version of the pay driver controversy that, that we like to go back to on the regular, it's not worth overlooking that his father has not only saved uh, what used to be Force India, but yeah. has also now rescued one of the prime <laughs> yes. and most well-known marks yeah. in, in all of the UK. From, you know, relatively certain oblivion at the hands of some venture uh, vulture capitalist. So uh, everything has a back and forth to it, I suppose. I think as the details emerge, what people will be most surprised about is the scale of of what Lawrence Stroll and his consortium are capable of and willing to do. Here at Mixed Apex Podcast, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before... Your Monday morning commute, we might be wrong, but we're first and we're one of the few outlets that gives you F1 content all through the winter. Let's bring on our driver experts. First up, we've got uh, my good friend and Treeface's driver coach, Bradley Philpot. How's it going, Brad? It's going really well. Thank you for having me on this lovely Sunday evening. Now, I wanted to go through some of your credentials because you, you, you've got an amazing wealth of talent and experience and people definitely should listen to you. But my main, my main credential for you at the moment is Treeface's driver coach and crew chief. Yeah, I had a, a really, really good time um, very briefly coaching him the other day. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a lot of time, but he listened really well, didn't he? And he enjoyed it. Which is great. No, it's not great because he never listens like that at home. But he's got Brad on the radio. All of a sudden, he's responding to instructions at a never before seen rate. But uh, it was really interesting. We had that conversation of, right, do you guys want to go there for your first league race and have this special father-son moment? Or would you like me to come down to make sure that you don't ruin him forever? And, and I'm so, I'm so glad you came down because we fixed so much of what he was doing wrong, like so quickly. I can't wait to to have a bit more time and for him to have a, you know, slightly longer session so we can really get into the meat of it and, uh, and make him the, the next future star. <laughs> get that lap time down. Now, Brad, uh, just like in the music industry, not everyone can be Taylor Swift. Uh, also, not everyone can be Lewis Hamilton, but your credentials are fantastic. So at the VLN, uh, the Nordschleife competition, you, you dominated your class. Uh, to an, an embarrassing level, like to an outstanding level, there's no doubt you can drive at all. Uh, you had that, you had that, uh, that world stage for just a moment as you defeated Sebastian Vettel in the Race of Champions Skill Challenge. But you've also done like some core stuff in racing, like you've tested F3 cars. Uh, you are famously consistent, which makes you amazingly valuable for tire manufacturers and car manufacturers. I just, you know, I when you speak, I listen. Chris Stevens doesn't but me and Treeface do. I appreciate you you mentioning a couple of my, my highlights. Yeah, um, I've had the, the benefit of um, quite a number of years now from karting up through instructing racing cars of all different types. Um, I first raced a car in 2007, um, won the Toyota MR2 Championship, which is you know club-level uh, championship. And since, since that point, I basically sat next to people in race cars every day or every working day for about 12 years. So I've had plenty of time um, to to gather some knowledge about why you should drive in a certain way and, and how the best way 
to get around the track. Works. Oh, I missed I missed the biggest reason why we should listen to you. You spent a lot of time at Palmersport uh, being an instructor there. So sitting next to people, just mugs, ordinary mugs like me, and just how do you trust your life to idiots like me getting into a, a two-seater sports car? Uh, generally by having dual control, so you can completely take control at any moment. But, but yeah, um, hundreds of thousands of laps, literally, uh, in the passenger seat, trying to get people to drive correctly. Um, and then obviously, as you, as you mentioned, which brings me on to my current career of tire testing. So every day I'm out on a track thrashing cars to, um, to the limit and trying to be as consistent as possible. So hopefully I've got some background to, to answer <laughs> some of the questions that our listeners have posed. Now, when you come to Miss Apex karting events, you are a country mile ahead of everyone. We, we do the outdoor karting. Fair to say that you're much more comfortable outdoor karting than indoor karting. Um, I was the first Brit to ever win uh, an indoor kart world oh. championship race. Um, but it was less competitive then than it is now. And I certainly wouldn't class myself among say the top 30 indoor carters in the world. Um, but, um, but yeah, outdoor karting, I think most mm. of us find a bit easier. So uh, recently we, uh, I commentated, thank you very much for letting me come and play on the microphone at your uh, British rental kart championship of which the standard was incredible. The world champion, the karting world champion turned up at that event and didn't win that's how high that's how high the standard was i don't know why you do it to yourself if i ran a karting competition i would tops invite like one good person and in fact that's exactly what i do do yeah it was um it was actually i think a stronger field than the last few um indoor world championships so um uh, and i both had our egos bruised as we do every year um but i think we performed reasonably admirably uh, admirably but yeah, really, really high standard again. And, and some of the things we're going to talk about tonight apply to that uh, that kind of racing as well. Well, that that's a good intro to Alex Jeansy Van Jean. Uh, let's go through all your credentials, presumably very similar to Brad's. We've kind of done this the wrong way. You should have done me first. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I want to help you out there. When you come to karting events with us at Missed Apex, you are very close to Brad in competition. So you are at least close enough to punt him. Uh, you have a lot of experience in rental kart championships. You're a series organiser for Covkart and genuinely in a good field. We've seen you against really top drivers. You're a very quick guy in a kart. Yeah, listen, I've been doing it since, well, I started in my very early 20s, literally just doing arrive and drive sessions and then decided I want to take that step up and do some racing. And that's how I've progressed, which is actually quite relevant to what we're going to talk about today, which is a case of going from one level and then bringing your level up. So it's actually quite relevant. Very good. Let's talk about some driver skills. Now, guys, as we talk about driving and we move between sims and carts and cars, a lot of the themes are going to be very similar. So I'm happy to use whatever discipline best suits that explanation and of course um, as we were discussing uh, earlier Matt there's such a wide variety of skill levels as well like from from people who've been karting once and to people who'll be listening who are incredibly proficient sim racers. Yeah I mean like for me I've only been karting twice now in my whole life so I'm sure what Brad would have to say to me like the one thing that I should pay attention to that might help me with my lap time or help me with my consistency would be entirely different to someone like, say, you, who's been to a bunch of arrive and drives, done a whole bunch of work dues, and has generally spent more time on the track. And that would be even different to if he was perhaps giving advice to somebody like Jeansy, who was more or less his, well, in the general ballpark, same stadium. I don't know. I don't know how you put it, but you get you get my idea. 
Okay, well, I'll tell you what, you've just made me feel sad now because you've reminded me of the days when I used to win stag do karting events and, and work do's, when I used to think I was karting, when I used to think I was good at karting before Brad and Alex turned up and now I realise I'm terrible. So uh, for you two, Brad and Alex, I think let's let's use karting and somewhere between me and Matt's skill level as your your base of operations to talk to, then we can go over under. I think karting is the thing that most people will have tried at least once. So let's start with a question here from Senna's Cat. Over the years, I've done amateur club level uh, race uh, carts. I've done fast road cars and sports sedans on track days. Some decades back, that's what this was, I very recently got into sim racing. How much of the skills and principles from real racing convert to sim racing? Uh, this is relevant with esports starting to really take off. Uh, we've been running sim events. I've been getting more, more and more into iRacing. Uh, Brad, how, how do you find it from somebody who's done like competitive GT driving and, and car racing to then coming to sims where you're, you're probably more at a hobby, hobbyist, a very good hobbyist level for sim racing? Do you find that your skills are transferable or, or is it like an entirely different sport? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of, of transferable skills. I also have a suspicion that someone who grew up only racing on sims and learned how to, how to get the best out of uh, a virtual vehicle without relying at all on feeling the G-force, but purely using the, the sensations you get through the steering wheel, plus what you can hear and what you can see on the screen. I feel like that person would have an advantage over someone who grew up doing real racing and then moved to sim racing because there's this extra, extra amount of feedback that you're kind of looking for, which you don't get, obviously, uh, on, on a sim, even on a very high-end sim. So I feel like a, an expert sim driver who starts with that is probably a slight advantage over, over a professional driver who goes back to sim racing. See, I'm that um, second one. You know, I went from doing lots and lots of karting to then trying out sim racing. And for me, the biggest issue when it comes to driving a sim is feel. You know, when you're in a cart, you're inches from the ground, you feel it all through your bum and you know what's going on. And that's the disconnect for me when it comes to um, to sim racing is I can't feel what's going on. So I'll break a bit too late or I won't be very consistent. Um, you know, so that that, I, that correlates for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. So Matt, I, I have neither of those experiences, uh, and not, neither do you. You, you've got road car, cart, and a bit of iRacing, which is not, not entirely dissimilar to, to what I have. Yeah, just less of it. But I like, uh, Jeansy bringing up the feel thing because I 100% completely agree with him. And I, I do sometimes wonder if a lot of that might come down to either the gear the very best racers use. And or even if you're a beginner, just like, uh, oh, what's the basic setting my my wheel should be on yes. when I'm in the game? And I think we're going to talk about that later, right? Yeah, we'll, we'll do a, a bit of a sim a gear breakdown towards the end. None of us are an expert on, on sim gear, but we can just talk about what we've had and our journey through the various steps and our, our eBay adventures. But uh, as an amateur, I've gotten into the iRacing, Brad, mainly through you. Because you stuck me in your in your sim with the three massive screens, and I just I felt like I'd suddenly come alive. I could look to the right, and I could actually see the hairpin apex. So I've been spending a lot of time doing the global MX five stuff. So how would how so I've got like the reverse question of Senna's cat. How would I feel? You know, uh, maybe the last year racing in these MX fives. 
if I got into a Rode MX-5 and tried to, to go and practice, would I, would I recognize myself? Yeah, so I actually think it works better that way around. Um, I, and by better, I mean, I think you would find it easier going from a sim into a real car because all of the technique you're going to use, uh, pretty much all the technique, um, is going to be roughly the same. Apart from the fact you've got real danger, which is the one downside to moving from virtual to real, apart from that element, you're actually going to have extra information to use. So rather than going from real life to a sim where you're, you're having some of the inputs, uh, some of the sensory inputs removed, um, going from sim to real life, you've suddenly got all these extra things that are going to help you out. You've got the seat of the pants, G-force feel. Um, you've got obviously more accurate information coming through the steering wheel because it's a real one, um, which is translating real um, track information through the tires, through the car to you. So I think it makes your life a little bit more easy. The, like I said, the downside is you've got to then deal with the fear factor. I, I, Joe uh, has mentioned on here that he worries that some of the sim races that come up don't have that same fear level. And uh, I don't know how you felt, Jeansy, when we went out on Silverstone in, in the soaking wet in, in those Peugeots, but I was a little alarmed at how not scared I was because I felt comfortable from having you know done it in my shed on a dining chair with a, a clip-on table steering wheel. And I was just I was just going for it. I was hurtling down Hangar Straight. And it was only really afterwards I went like, how? I did not earn the confidence to do to do that. I think with those GTs, it was, the GTIs, it was a little bit different because um, we, uh, they're road cars, effectively. So you're used to being in that type of car. Um, you're familiar with the circuit because you've seen it on telly for years. You've played it on sim games. So you know about it. I, again, the same. I went out there. My foot went straight to the floor as I came out the pits without second thought. Um, but I think once you step it up and go to a GT3 car, for example, and you're then hurtling into a corner at 170 miles an hour, have to brake and travel through the corner at 100 miles an hour, that is slightly different. And I think the people who've been solely on a sim for their entire racing life then go to do that, I think they'll have a trouser problem. That's the technical term, Matt, a trouser problem. Uh, I like to hear that. I actually did have the experience of going into a sim to get ready for the track day that I did at Silverstone. And I will say that the experience of going through maggots and beckets, even at uh, the speed that Brad would laugh at me for, was 100% different when you were in the car as opposed to when you were in the sim. And uh, I, I would agree with you. Absolutely. There's no real way to prepare for the extra feedback you get when you're on track in, in a car like that relative to being in a road car or just being on a sim even a good one, even a virtual reality one with like a, you know, three axis degree of freedom. So everything's suddenly more brutal. The sound is louder than you expect it to be. The bumps are harsher. You hear things like rubber and stones knocking around in the wheel arches and they will take your attention and distract you. And you'll think, is there a problem with the car? Is there a puncture? You will have basically um, sensory overload when you're a new driver going from a sim into a real life car and i think um even slower real world cars will feel quite fast uh, if all you've done is sim driving however having said all that i still think there's massive massive value to people driving on a sim because it's the skills that you learn that will help you out it's knowing how to work out what the best line is 
um, what to do to control the car in various situations. It's just you're going to basically fill in loads of gaps that you would have had in your skill set um, by by doing a lot of sim driving as a complement to to the real world driving what? before you ever get in a car. Yeah, and more and more though, uh, Matt, for some people, sim racing is is the goal. It's it's not like a thing to go. Oh well, this will train me for when I go to F three. For some people, sim racing that is the sport that they want to do well in and progress in the leagues at. Well, yeah, and it's it's because it's more affordable than going to a track or racing in a league. You know, your wife can give you a lot of grief about how much you spent on a refurbished Thrustmaster T300 or a monitor. I feel attacked, but okay, go on. But but show her how much it's going to cost you to rent a car to go race SECA up at Lime Rock. And you realize that for, for a third... For a third of one car rental, you can have uh, gear to do a year of iRacing. Excellent. Let's talk some driver skills. Right, let's get into the meat of some technical stuff. So whether you are on a track day, whether you are in a sim or in a go-kart, a lot of this stuff will be transferable. I want to start with a question from Russell Hooper on Facebook. We love the interaction we get from you guys, by the way. So here are the ways quickly to interact. You can go to our Facebook group if you are a Facebooker, uh, Missed Apex Podcast. We've got a, a page on there, but the group's the best bit. And you can friend me now, Richard Reddy, so you can find me from the Missed Apex group. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Missed Apex F1, me at Spanners Ready, or you can always just email me directly, uh, SpannersReady at gmail.com, or use the chat feature on the website, missedapexpodcast.com yeah that's the whole website that's how websites work yeah just that is a little pop-up and you can chat to me whenever i can get to you i definitely will do keep getting in touch russell hooper says bradley philpot not alex van jean so this one's directed only at bradley philpot shut up alex uh, may i ask you a racing question um if you'll answer me with i i will if you will Answer me. I'm fine with you addressing this in the in the podcast. Oh, good. Well, we did that. Uh, my question is about trail braking. I can do it, and I think this next bit is is I can do it, but I'm using a controller, not a steering wheel and pedals, so it's sloppy at best. But my question is, what kind of corner turn do I use trail braking? As uh, the tutorials in the game don't address this. Uh, now, firstly, Brad, I know some people are going to sneer at using a controller. But I, well, I've done it when I've taken games on planes or when I've been away on tour. And the little, the little trigger things, you can have increased pressure. So you can, you can kind of do it. So at least it's valid. And even if it's not a valid thing to use a controller ever, it's at least a good question. It is a very good question. Um, and I'm going to try and address this as simply as I possibly can. So as with all these things, there's going to be examples you'll find that don't quite fit um, how I'm going to explain it. But in general... Um, so first of all, what trail braking is, trail braking is when you effectively stay on the brakes on the way into a corner. So it's when you don't finish your braking at the turning point, it's when that braking continues into the turn phase of a corner. Okay, so generally when you when you go uh, for your safety brief at a cart track, they say to you, okay, get all your braking done in a straight line, then turn gently around the corner and accelerate gently away. Therefore, we don't have to fish you out of the barriers. They're not actually telling you the fastest way around the corner necessarily. They're just trying to make their lives easier and safer. So, you know, if we go to the basics, you brake as you're coming up to the corner. Uh, 
let off the brake so you can turn. That's what most of us do, uh, the stag do. But you're saying that there's a case for extending that braking phase into the turn. Yes. So, I mean, the whole basic version you've used there, it tends to be something that gets thrown out of the window the moment people start getting a bit more advanced. But yeah, the basic briefing tends to say brake in a straight line and then come off the brakes and turn into the corner. But we're going to explore why that isn't really right. But just to answer the question properly, trail braking is obviously when you then continue that braking past the turning point and and often up to the apex itself. And the type of corner you would tend to see this in is essentially a corner where the minimum speed you need to achieve happens quite late on in the corner. So for example, in Formula One, think of Brooklands at Silverstone, where you've got the Wellington straight and you've got the long, slow left-hand edge before Luffield. That's a typical corner where you're going to be trailing the brakes because the minimum speed you need to achieve doesn't need to be achieved until quite long round the corner. Oh, can I guess why? Is it because there's another corner? straight away after it so if it, if there was a straight immediately afterwards you would your minimum speed would be earlier in the corner so that you could get on the power earlier and boot it down the straight yeah that's that's definitely one of the reasons yeah if the, if the next section of track after brooklands was just a long straight so if you didn't have the tight right hander of luffield afterwards you'd definitely approach the corner a different way you'd try and get most of that braking done a bit earlier and then you'd accelerate out of the corner but you're right because there's only a very short straight following brooklands and you're immediately into a long tight right hander you're going to try and gain all of your time or a lot of your time by carrying as much speed as possible all the way through the corner until the last possible moment so um so what i was saying was your your minimum speed that you want to achieve you only need to be doing that at the point you need to be doing that so say that's say it's 40 miles per hour you need to be doing um, when you when you nearly finish the corner at Brooklands and you're doing 140 on the pro- on the approach to Brooklands, there's no need to slow down to 40 when you get to the corner. You might be able to take the initial entry at say uh, 120, that makes and sense. then maybe one third of the way around the corner, maybe you could still be doing 100 and stay on the trajectory you want. But by the time you get to that late apex, that's when you need to be doing 40. So by trail braking, you're gradually slowing down all the way up to that apex but more than you'd be able to achieve simply by being off the brakes. You, you'd be going too quick at, at that point. Okay, obviously this causes quite a lot of problems. And I know, Jeansy, you were talking to me about some early karting experiences at uh, Daytona Milton Keynes, where there's a, a, a back on yourself, very tight hairpin, but it's at the end of like quite a fast section and you're off camber and you're downhill and it's notorious for sending people into a spin. So when we're trail braking... What we're getting people to do is, is be on the brakes while they're turning. And this is one of the areas you struggled with early on. Yeah, I mean, what I was going to say is the reason you don't tend to brake and turn at the same time, especially in a car that has, especially in a car um, and a race car at that, is you'll tend to lock the front brakes. So it's that balance of being on the brakes, then coming off the brakes to not lock the front so the wheels still turn. But as far as karting goes, when I first started karting, the first outdoor karting I did was at Daytona Milton Keynes. Um, they got a fast, as you just described, there's a fast back, se- fast back section that goes down really steep hill. And then you've got to get on the brakes really hard for a really tight um, hairpin and then back up the hill. My biggest issue when I started karting was I'd snatch the brakes and because I was new, I'd continue to brake because the car's not slowing down and I'd spin because in a go-kart, yeah. all the brakes are on the rear tyres. You're going, it's going wrong, therefore I must brake more. And then you're just yeah, which is, which is such a natural reaction. It's like when people start to lose the rear, they don't automatically correct it. They tend to turn into it because it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's not going where I want it to. Um, 
so for me that ended up becoming my my challenge was to nail the braking for that corner without spinning and actually now braking hard for those type of corners is actually now one of my biggest assets and i'm deep and i'm very good at being deep on the brakes because that's the kind of thing you have to work at we've had a lot of questions about things to improve on and that comes down to what you're not good at and also normally when you're braking very late you've normally got another cart just to sort of lean into and use as a brake so you know that that helps doesn't it that's a good technique that's what you're supposed to use other carts for, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, right. that's, that's what I thought. No, it's fine. Um, we'll get into racecraft a little bit. Oh, later. yes, we definitely will. Um, At the moment, we're, we're covering kind of how to go faster, get your lap time faster. We'll definitely do a, a bit of racecraft. Uh, Matt, then Brad. Well, what I wanted to do was get on to Brad then and say, okay, I understand theoretically what trail braking is based on your unbelievably lucid explanation. How do I actually practice it in a realistic way or should i even bother practicing it for somebody at my level of driving yeah is it super advanced brad because you're not teaching tree face trail braking yet well it's it's different in a car as we kind of touched upon earlier because when you're when you're in a car say that silverstone example again and you're braking for brooklands all the weights over the nose uh, on the front end of the car the front tires and the front brakes are the ones doing all the work if you happen to brake slightly too hard in your trail braking phase all that's going to happen is you'll have a slight lockup of the inside front wheel. Whereas in a go-kart, if you have a slight lockup, you're going to lose the rear. So it's much, much harder to kind of trail brake in a cart. And it's not, not so much of a normal thing. So I was talking a little bit more about a car, but to answer Matt's question, to practice it, basically, you just need to try and go as quick as you can for as long as possible into a corner where, where you need it. So for example, you've driven through Brooklyn's, you've, you've done this track, you've driven Silverstone. Um, the way to practice it would be to try and slow down to your minimum speed as late as possible. And occasionally you're going to run wide. Occasionally you're going to brake too gently. Uh, occasionally you're going to brake too much too early. And you'll find yourself midway through Brooklands thinking, oh, I could be going a bit quicker here. I'm not really on the limit of the grip. Um, and it's when you get to the point where there's no way you could have been carrying any more speed at any point of that corner without understeering wide that you know you've got it right. And that's, that's what you're aiming for. But it, it really is, it's not super advanced spanners, but it is, it's certainly a key skill because the real answer, I just want to really answer the question fully is pretty much every corner you trail break to a greater or lesser extent. We just only tend to call it trail breaking when it's a really long break into a corner, even cops, even turn one at Silverstone, you're, you still have a very slight transition between the braking and the turning phase. It's just the minimum speed you need to achieve is much earlier at a corner like Cops. Say you're going 140 there and the speed you need to achieve is 100 to get the car rotated onto the trajectory you want. You do that very early on in the corner and then you accelerate through the corner because it has a much gentler angle and a much you know wider exit. So um, you're still doing a very slight crossover between the braking and the steering. It's just at the longer, tighter corners, you stay on the brakes for even longer. So it's on a spectrum. Okay, just looking through the chat room here. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. You can go to youtube.com and search for Missed Apex Podcast. And you can join us here and you can join Dejotma, uh, Evangelos, Mark and and Ray and come and speak to us while we're doing the show. And look, uh, we've got a, a comment from uh, Udivir 
who says, hey, guys, you know, are you guys going to talk about F1 today? And we are. We are going to make it relatable to F1 too. But the whole point of the driving masterclass is that we're going through the basics of, of what uh, constitutes making a vehicle go fast. And that is all that F1 is, is that is making a vehicle go as fast as possible so that you can then race other cars that are going as fast as possible. With tech time, you know, you're, you're exploring how aero and suspension helps the car. And that is as much of a stepping stone to your overall F1 package as steering and racing is, Matt, to the overall F1 experience. And tires. Oh, of course. Of course. I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare forget it. Okay, so if we want to relate this to F1 uh, a a little bit, uh, Brad, when people talk about carrying momentum, uh, in fact, this there was a question on this. It was from IGT Racer that says, I'm looking for advice on carrying momentum through corners. Advice on car rotation and brake bias would be helpful too. Now, in F1, we're always hearing about brake bias. They're now changing the brake biases between corners. Uh, but there's there's an interesting one with, with car rotation. So I was trying to explain to my son that when you approach a, a, a corner narrower, so like less wide, when you approach it narrower, by the time you get to the apex, we were doing this on the sim earlier, you've got more work to do to rotate it. Whereas if you're out wider, you start that rotation earlier. But when in F1 they talk about carrying speed, what what are they talking about when they say carrying speed? Well, it's it's extremely general. I'm going to avoid using the the, the phrase that Alex thinks we're going to be using a lot. It um, depends. It depends. So it depends on a, a lot of things. So how can I carry more momentum is, is probably one of the most general generalized questions you could possibly ask because it's going to depend on so many factors. Um, what vehicle you're in, what kind of corner you're, you're going through, how much grip you have. There's just, you know, an endless list of things which will affect how, uh, how much speed you can carry through a corner. But at its very basic level, your example with tree face there is really good. Um, using as much of the track as possible on the entry and on the exit, which then minimizes the angle of steering you have to apply through the corner is probably the best um, the best starting point. As, as you mentioned, if you approach a left-hander, say, on the left-hand side of the track, yeah. when you get to the corner, certainly by the time you get to the apex, you'll have had to apply a lot more steering lock than if you'd approached the corner from the right-hand side of the track. And obviously, the straighter the steering wheel is, the more speed you can carry, the more momentum you can carry. So your job, one of your jobs as a race driver or a track driver, is to really minimize the angle of the steering that you're having to use at each corner. Um, because as I say, the, the less steering lock you have on, the more speed you can be carrying. Uh, Matt, I think we've got some follow-up from that in the chat. Yeah. In, in fact, we had a couple of more. We, we had, um, speaking of, we had Doug De Bruin go, how to go from smooth, quotes, in quotes, to rotation, in quotes, in corners. And I'm just going to add, there are different kinds of corners. So is it different from slow yeah. to medium to high speed corners? Yeah, look, look, Jensen Button, he, he always was, uh, yeah, he's got a reputation. He's the smoothest driver in F1. And every now and then, people who know what they're doing will yell at me, smooth, smooth, keep it smooth. I'm like, I don't know what that means. How I don't know how to be smooth. How can I be smooth, Brad? By practicing more, basically. <laughs> the the better you get at uh, this kind of thing at driving, naturally you're going to smooth out some of your movements. Um, I always used to say to people when I was sat next to them on track that it's absolutely fine to be fast with your steering movements when you're correcting something which has gone wrong. You want to correct a slide very quickly and be sharp with that 
um, with that input. But the actual initial steering input will generally want to be quite smooth and deliberate. You never want to, to effectively chuck the car into the corner. You want to tell it precisely where you want to go by turning the steering wheel the amount that you need to and, and never right. more. Okay, um, so if, I, if I'm erratic and I over do the amount of steering input I need and then I need to correct it, then I'm not being smooth. So if I'm better, then I'm being smoother. Uh, we're talking s- still about rotating the car and getting it into the corners. Gavin, uh, fil- we'll just say Gavin, uh, says brakes is for rotation. But really interesting hearing you talking to my son on the intercom. Uh, you were saying to him, you know, uh, get, get, the, get the speed down and brake and then let the tyres do the work turning. So I think that's where a lot of us amateurs struggle, is that transition between, you know, if we just keep the brakes on, like Alex at Milton Keynes, we'll end up just keep spinning around. If we have no brakes, we'll struggle to get it in. But the the key phrase for me that was really interesting was, okay, now now come off the brakes, let the tyres do the work. Yeah, it's a very specific example there with Treeface, um, because in karting in particular, and especially reasonably slow and indoor karting, you're going to be braking for a very short period of time um, because it's difficult to trail the brakes in, as we mentioned earlier, because you've only got them on the back um, and because you're on a slippery surface and you're not actually going that quick in the first place. You really need to come off the brakes, otherwise you're going to over-slow the cart or rotate more than you want to by effectively pulling a handbrake and locking those rears. So what we were trying to get Treeface to do into that long, tightening, slow corner, very much like Brooklyn's we were using earlier, we were trying to get him to do the go-kart equivalent of trailing the brakes, which is Uh-oh. using the front tires to slow the cart down. And we wanted his minimum speed to be achieved at the apex and not before. Whereas what he was tending to do beforehand was try and slow right down and then drive into the corner. And then he'd be going too quick by the time he got to the apex um, or, or too slow, depending how he'd done it. So but yeah, anyway, it's, a, it's slightly different with carts again, and that's why it's tricky to cover all bases at the same no, time I know. with these technique chats. I, 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 wanna, I want to go on to uh, Racecraft with Alex very shortly, but just to kind of uh, wrap this up, uh, Lydia Cruz said, um, does this, how does this apply when you see the onboards in F1 and the steering wheel ap- appears, appears to be a bit all over the place in the corner? Is that generally because they've made a mistake or just because they're a bit rubbish? With, with Lewis Hamilton, it does generally look very, very relaxed, like he's, like he's hardly doing anything. Yeah, so the, the more difficult a car is to drive, um, the more erratic it is or the more it's, um, you know, the, the lower the potential of the car, the easier it is for the driver to f- effectively overstep the mark and need to keep correcting or, or adjusting the amount of steering that they've got on. The better the car is, the more planted it is a la the Mercedes. Um, it, obviously, the much smoother the driver can afford to be because they know what it's going to do. It's not going to react and snap at the rear. So you'll probably see drivers who are pushing right to the limit in slightly trickier cars with their hands all over the place a lot more. But within reason, they're still being extremely smooth. If you were to, if you were to actually slow down the video and watch precisely what they're doing, they're only ever going to be doing quick erratic movements in response to thing, imperceptibly small attitude changes that the car is making that you probably can't tell from, from just watching the onboard. This is when you hear in practice, when you hear lots of the drivers talking about the balance of the car. If the balance isn't right, they're having to be um, more erratic with the car, like Brad says. And that's why getting that balance right, which when it comes to talk, people talking about sim racing, the balance is all crucial because you've got no real feel, no real life feel. Having the car planted where you want it, the balance becomes really important. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Someone in our Slack group, I think, was talking about how in The Sims, because you've got that that lack of feel, it it overcompensates with tire noise. So it makes the tires. In fact, was it was it a question, Matt? Was that one of our questions? Oh no, uh, I don't want to take credit for it. So, uh, well, Matt finds who said that. Um, basically, the question was: Is tire squeal good? Um, Matt. Uh, that would be Conzi. Hello, Conzi. Uh, yes. Group. So he was saying, is, is tire squeal good? And then somebody else replied that in Sims, they increase the sound of the tire squeal so that you can have more of a, a feedback. You can know when you're on that edge of grip. And, uh, and I was thinking about this earlier with the belt driven steering wheels that are a lot stronger. And actually those belt driven wheels are a lot stronger than perhaps a, a real MX5 that you would take out onto a racetrack. But the reason it's good is, you need that exaggeration. You need that extra input to help you know uh, to help you know what's going wrong, uh, Alex. Um, yeah, there's other things that games do with that. So for the new F1 game, for example, um, they once you've gone past the level of a level of grip and you start to understeer, the whole wheel goes light. So you all of a sudden know, oh, actually, I've gone too far. I can come back, which is why I quite like the new F1 2019 ah, game that's because. Good. Um, it, you know when you're coming to that edge of grip, it's just not tires. And do you know what? The single most useful thing I've learned from Brad is uh, on the exit of a corner, when he said when you're when you're understeering, like quite late into the corner, actually, instead of trying to fight it and steer more because you're understeering, you open up the steering to let the tyres actually work. And that has helped me so much in iRacing. I literally hear Brad, when, I'm, when there, I feel any sort of understeer, I hear Brad's <laughs> voice in my head. 
saying that's open how steering. Much, that's open how steering. often me and Brad have talked about the whole understeer, and he's talked about it a lot when he was in his Palmer days, where it's people just like, oh, I'm understeering, so I'll just continue to turn more and add more power. And it now rings <laughs> in my head. Whenever any of that happens, I just yeah. hear Brad's voice. Yeah, because you open it up and you go, ah, oh, the tyres are now doing their job, and then you can start again, Brad. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to sound like a parrot to anyone who's heard me say this before, but understeer is when you're already going too fast for the amount of front lock you've got on. So applying more lock means you're now definitely going too fast for the amount of um, front lock you've got on. So the only option is to reduce speed. If you don't want to slow down, that's not an option, or reduce steering lock. So it's it's obvious when you break it down, but most people don't analyse what's actually going on in quite so much detail. So Conzi's question then, when we talk about tyre squeal, you made an interesting point to me, I think yesterday, uh, talking about how most people do not get to the, the edge of the grip cohesion that they they have so most people are, are well within the comfort levels of tires uh, when when we hear that tire squeal is is that good is that with it still well within what we can do or is that a signal that you've gone way too far it depends how much tire squeal so if you're on the limit in a road car because obviously different tires have different amounts of actual squeal a lot of slick racing tires are basically silent when they're locked up or, really? or if you're understeering and, and you're doing what would normally cause a lot of tyre squeal on a road tyre. So that can be quite tricky when you're in some cars like a Formula 3 car or similar um, prototype cars and you're on, say, a a kind of standard F3 size slick. It's quite tricky sometimes to feel whether or not you've locked up or or how much you're understeering because you Uh don't have that. But anyway, um, in general, a lot of tyre squeal is definitely bad because it means you're probably going too fast or you're applying too much steering lock for the current situation. What you're aiming for in, in a car which... Yeah, sorry, using tyres which do give you a bit of tyre squeal is for a little bit because it means you're you're effectively on the limit, but you're not massively overstepping it. Oh, you're see. never going to have a situation where there's none. See, Brad, I, I feel like you are definitely saying the right things, but I know I know what my amateur brain just heard, which is keep pushing till you hear the tyre squeal and then, and then bring it back some. So I, you may have damaged my, my eye racing. It's quite a good way in, in conjunction with if you use the, these two different things, the amount of tyre score you can hear, plus how light the steering is going in your hands or um, how much the angle of the car is changing or not changing based on the angle of your hands. If you, if you kind of try and marry those things up, you can work out, oh, lots of tyre squeal. And when I turn the wheel, it doesn't seem to be making any difference you know you're going too fast for the amount of steering lock you've got applied. Oh, nice. So if I've got some tyre squeal going on, but it's not too much and I'm still making the corner, I'm going, yeah, okay, I'm I'm riding this wave out. All the while, your steering input, as in your increase in steering lock, actually has a good effect. All the while that it's being effective, you, you increase the steering lock by a couple of degrees and the car turns in a couple more degrees, you're okay. You're, you're within the limit of grip. Once you get to the point where you start turning the wheel but the car is rotating at a reduced amount for that extra steering lock, you know then you've reached the limit and you don't want to then apply any more lock than that. And that will normally go in conjunction with increasing tyre squeal. This kind of show has strong parallels to tech time in that A, it won't be for everyone. B, it is very important and vital to, to what we're talking about and has a lot of repercussions in all our discussions. And three it requires you to kind of skip back and and listen again. And on previous Bradley Philpott masterclasses, especially when we focused in on karting, I I remember, I think I I listened to that episode maybe five or six times and even on the way down to Buckmore uh, on a karting event. And I know a lot of the guys who attended 
did the same thing. But this is all fine and well, getting round a lap, doing a lap as quickly as we can. But when you get people like Van Jean on the track next to you, it's a very different story. Alex Jeansy Van Jean, you are, let's, let's not, let's not sugarcoat this. You are an aggressive driver. When, when the, you know, with some drivers and they say, oh, you know, they're such a cool and calm, but when the visor comes down, they're very different. You are out of the cart, a very aggressive and stubborn man. <laughs> and, and in the cart, you are slightly more aggressive and stubborn man. And racecraft, it has to be said, you are the boss of missed apex events for racecraft. Like you very much have a none shall pass attitude. That's come from spending a lot of time much heavier than other people and having to spend a lot of time defending um, <laughs> and then having to find interesting ways to get past people when you're not necessarily quicker. And then when I've lost weight and I've got better, all of a sudden it's become an aggressive style. And yes, I, I wholeheartedly admit I am aggressive, but um, you kind of have to be. In the racing I do, it's a lot of sprint racing and you have to have a go um <laughs> right i think let, let me let me just stop you there because as much as like when we're doing youtube stuff i hear uncle steve in my head get that guy's eye line pointing towards you you big girl ah and i hear brad you know going open the steering open the steering smooth smooth i don't i don't know what smooth means brad's voice in my head your voice comes up in my head when i'm uh, attempting an overtake so i do hear the You've got to make a move. You have to lunge. You have to make this happen. You have to be positive. It's not going to, they're not going to overtake themselves. And that is the voice I hear. Um, but when you've watched me race, I mean, you've identified some real shortfalls in, in, in when I, when it comes to wheel to wheel. Like I can generally get around the track. As soon as there's another cart or MX5 on iRacing near me, I kind of fall to pieces. Well, I was going to use you as an example because you are oh. a good example. <laughs> okay. So I'm glad you brought that up because on your own, going around a circuit, you're quick. You can do lap times. You can identify, you can identify um, when you need to go faster, and that's great. However, shove 19 people on the track around you, and it's like, where do I go? I don't want to hit anybody off. I don't, I don't want, want to cause any trouble, which is the opposite to the way you are outside of a track. Um <laughs> But um, it's that whole case of what do I do? And this is where I've always said, so I keep saying to you, for example, the way you're going to get better and faster and learn to overtake is by doing more racing. Um, but it is that case of knowing where you can break, knowing what's coming next is really important. So if you're, so Butmore Park, perfect example. If you can get a narrower exit of the turn one, two, and then be on the inside for the hairpin, you've then got the opportunity to be on the inside to coax somebody a little bit into a difficult position so you can then nab them for turn four. Yeah, for, and it's all about knowing... The technical timing is punt, but yeah, okay. No, no, no. Don't have to have any contact. A little okay. bit of a lean, that's all right. Yeah, Leaning's okay. all right, as long as you're not forcing them to and, the and circuit. And it's about as knowing... As you know, also, it's about knowing what's going to happen in the subsequent corners. Often I will get past someone, celebrate, and three corners later they're by me because I made some some mistake in the very next corner mm -hmm. or while I was overtaking. Or they're more aggressive than you and they will have a go. Um, I mean, uh, Ryan Sedgwick um, put the question yeah. in, how much is too much? <laughs> um, so we, me, and, me and him have had two run-ins on the recent karting events. So I'll say both that, your fault. What, 
curse you Vangine so one was yeah probably my fault I was down the inside maybe a bit optimistic ended up taking uh, you know taking his rear a little bit and I apologised which I shouldn't have done because then the The video footage clearly shows that you just shoved yourself up the inside no the video footage from his cam so obviously that that he's the point of reference from his webcam from his for the the listeners um, uh, advantage um the video footage from Ryan Sedgwick's camera showed Spanners clearly pumped into the side of him going into the hairpin. There was five of us in a room looking at this footage and everyone said it was Spanners' fault except Spanners. I stand Take by that. that you, you, like. can, you can be in a room of intelligent people uh, who disagree with you and still be right. Uh, the second time was really funny because he, he did nearly the same thing to me, but he had the sense to try and steer into my front and actually kept me straight to avoid a penalty. But uh, yeah. Ryan's a lovely guy. He would never want to ruin anyone's race. And his question, uh, what was it? You know, how much is too much? And and where do you draw that line between being fair and still fighting for your place on the track? So if you make a lunge into a corner and the front of your car literally smacks into the side of somebody else, that's obviously too much. Um, if you have a bit of sideways contact, a little bit, a bit of a brush, there's nothing wrong with that. You can get away with it. It's also, and Brad will nod here when I say this, it's what the track lets you get away with, you know, like speeding under yellows. Um, if the if they let you get away with certain things, that's what you can do. If you want to be the gentleman racer, which is what Kyle Power is, Kyle Power won't put anybody in a difficult position, and he's the ultimate gentleman racer. Um, however, if you're up against me, for example, I am aggressive and I will defend and I will attack. Um, I will give you the least amount of space that you are allowed to have um, without pushing you off the circuit, without doing any damage to you, but I will make sure it is difficult for you. And that is completely within the ground. Okay, so in karting, the consequences of a misunderstanding between the two of you, you don't leave the space. I think you're going to leave the space. You turn in, we make contact, maybe one of us spins. In F1, you know, it's very different. So everyone kind of cites the center the center thing of I will give you the choice of whether to avoid the accident or or hit me and we're both out. When we see those situations between, you know, cars, someone puts themselves up the inside and the other car just decides to occupy that space in a manner that suggests, you know, if you don't get out of the way, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you, then it becomes different because the consequences are a lot higher with the open wheel. See my issue with that again with open wheel would be if you're putting yourself in a position where you're just showing your nose that, in my mind, is a half-assed move, and not. And, and, and if you're at that point, it, if you're at that point, you should be backing out to let them have the room. If you're fully alongside and okay, you've had a lunge for it, you can then you can then make the corner. That's fine. But again, it comes back down to the lane system, which is where Brad's better at explaining than I am. I, I, but, yeah, we're going to go back to Brad in uh, in just a second. But I've got two questions for you from from listeners, and these t- uh, two. Our, our patrons and uh, you can come and join us uh, in the slack group and get some extra content and get an ad free rss podcast feed as well if you would like to support us uh, on patreon so uh, on patreon so it's patreon.com forward slash missed apex we would love your support and we try to try to do a little bit to make that worthwhile but we do have a wonderful community of patrons of which these two are a part of david hatton has come and filmed us karting with his drone. He is he is a gentleman driver until the visor comes down, and then he's a complete git. I'm not. I like him. I think he's a brilliant bloke. 
But boy, he's Van Gene levels of aggressive. Uh, you punted him out of the way at one point. And his question says, actually, uh, he, he states it to Brad, but Alex, I think uh, you'll have this as well. Uh, for Brad, can you do anything to find the zone or the flow state when you're racing? Or does it just happen? And then his question for Alex is, can you do anything to avoid the red mist when racing? Or does that just happen as well? So Brad, the flow, do you get the flow? So the flow is really just a thing that happens when you're really good at any given <laughs> skill. Um, I'm sure an ice skater who is doing their roti- uh, their routine um, when they're really, really good and they practice a lot is in the flow uh, in the same way that a, a race driver is. So really, there's no shortcut to that. You can't, um, you can't have a good flow unless you're actually really good. Um, I guess you could have a good flow where you're not driving very fast, but but generally, it's just practice. You need to, if you want a good flow around Buckmore Park, you need to do a thousand laps around Buckmore Park and become very, very good at the circuit. Okay, and, uh, Alex, do you do you have a lazier suggestion? No, that not really. Hard. But an example of someone who's in the flow was I can't remember which Grand Prix it was at, but Max Verstappen while in a, while on the radio noticed that the pit crew, that the Ferrari pit crew, had done a double stack pit stop. Max is in the flow. He has complete control of what he's doing and where he's going, but he hasn't even really got to think about the inputs for the driving, and he can listen to what's going on in someone's pit box from the radio from his crew chief. That is the flow. And then the next question, which was directed at you, Alex, and kind of at me as well, uh, dealing with the red mist when racing, when there is that bit of contact, I, I am awful for it. Like, I can be generally calm in the car, when I feel aggrieved or a sense of injustice, I honestly, like, I just lose it. And I think, what's happening? I've paid money to be here. I've invited everyone down. Yet I'm in this helmet fuming mad. Is that just part? Can I just say, oh, well, that's just part of it. That is just part of the sport. I'm allowed to be angry. Calm down by the time I get out of the car and get out. Or is that something I need to control? It's something you have to control. I'm not going to say it doesn't ever get to me. You know, I've no, had, we've seen it. I, I've had occasions where it does get to me. However, it's how quickly there's nothing wrong with it because it it fuels the fire. So if you get it, <clears throat> excuse me, if you get it, that's fine. But um, it's how quickly you can switch it back off and go back to focusing on that next corner and the corner after that. Um, it's literally a case of okay, that's happened. I'm annoyed about it. I'll deal with it later and then focus on what you're doing. If you don't focus on what you're doing and you just let the red mist take over, you will see it clearly in your lap times. Now, I've disabled the mic when I'm generally racing, iRacing on Sims, because it's too easy to just press a button, go, you getting gitty git. Those are the exact words I use. Uh, But then, Matt, do you remember at at Buckmore Park, I got annoyed because Chris on the comms wasn't transferring to my headset to speak to me live while I was racing around and I'd spent ages setting that up and I couldn't help coming up with some like really sarky comments and going, oh yeah, good commentary so far, Chris. Glad I spent all this time. And you just go, oh, there's something different when you're in the car. Do you get uh, do you get aggressive in your head, in your headspace? You know, it, it's an interesting thing uh, talking about that because I know uh, in bike racing, I know playing music that, that you know, a mistake especially will cause you to get angry and and help you focus more. You can use that emotional energy and bring it to your focus. But I find, at least in karting, and maybe it's just because I have done so little of it and I'm still just, I don't know, still think of myself as a rank amateur. Even when I get hit, even when I get angry about being hit, to me, it's just about how quickly can I 
get back the time I have lost. And 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 that's that is all I think about. <laughs> no, I'm stewing on the injustice of everything. Uh, we've actually had a really interesting question in the chat room, Brad. I think you're you're in the chat room engaging uh, with Ijhammer there with his question. Uh, it's a really interesting one. Uh, how much does learning knowing the track uh, mean for racing performance? And how much time does it take to learn a track sufficiently? Really interesting comment from uh, Andrew Benson about three years ago talking about Lewis Hamilton in free practice one and saying that one of the signs that he is really a, a great driver, Andrew Benson likes Lewis Hamilton, by the way, in case you hadn't noticed, I do too, um, is that he gets up to speed really quickly in the practice sessions. And I know you and I have talked about the miracle laps with Senna where he talked about being at one with the car and every lap was faster and faster and faster and just kept improving and improving and improving. And I was like, hmm, doesn't that just mean that he just wasn't on the pace for all those laps and then eventually got there. How, how much of a how much of an indicator is it uh, that someone can come to a track and be up to speed quicker, or is it just as valid for say Stroll, who eventually gets there on lap three of the race on Sunday? I think the best drivers tend to be quite quick at learning circuits, and and by that I mean if you just rocked up to a standard F one length circuit, a really good driver would probably know which way the corners went, uh, providing they'd had no prior viewing of the track or sims or anything. You know, they just drove out of the pit lane for the first time. I reckon they'd have a very good idea of which way every corner was going to go within four laps, three or four laps. And then after that, it would just be a case of refining it and, and going into the details. So certainly by the end of a practice run, um, you should be very close to the ultimate pace. And then from then on, each, each subsequent practice session, you'd just be um, you know, perfecting it effectively. Um, but on most kart tracks, certainly Alex can probably attest to this. Um, if I go to a new kart track in, in the UK, a standard kind of 30 second kart track length within maybe three laps, you, you'll know where you're going and you found the limit. You know, you kind of, you work out which sections are easily, easily flat out and then you just refine the slightly trickier bits over the following laps. But, um, I would, having said all that, definitely a benefit to have practiced it beforehand because then you're not wasting those initial laps, those initial real world laps. Um, learning the track you you want to really leave the pit lane and know exactly which way each corner goes and i've done that on a lot of tracks over the years you know learning it beforehand and then arriving just to perfect it a perfect oh. example of some of the best drivers turning up and just doing the job on a track they've never seen before for brkc a couple of years ago um matthias gruten turned up had never seen the track before didn't turn up for friday practice his first laps were for qualifying for his very first race and he stuck it third on the grid um, behind two very quick drivers including the former female champion and then won the race on a track he's never seen before just for full explanation there brkc is the british rental car championship and matthias gruten is the 2005 and 2015 indoor kart world champion matt okay okay so i'm gonna ask a question most people listening to the show are not professional drivers. They haven't spent their whole lives rocking around tracks. So what would a reasonable expectation be uh, for someone, for like Spanners or myself? How long should we spend learning a track? And if it's better to learn a track ahead of time, is it acceptable to learn it on a sim, say if you're going to a track day or something like that? Um, 100% it is better to learn it on a sim before you go anything you can do to take some of the mental load off of you when you're doing it for real is good. 
And, and I would suggest doing something exactly like you did, Matt, where you went to a, a sim center and when you, before you came to drive at Silverstone, you just learned it intimately on the sim. And I'm sure knowing, even if all you know is roughly how tight the next corner is and which direction it goes, that's taking a giant load off of, off of your mind. And also if you've got an instructor next to you, their mind, when you're doing your first real world laps. Um, in, to answer your question about how long it should take you to learn the track, it, I hate to say it again, but it really depends. It, it depends on <sighs> dare you. not only just your experience level, but, but how good you actually are. You know, some, you can have two people that have both done one track day, but one could be a lot better than the other. So, you know, it's, oh, okay. it's very, do you know what, do you know what Brad, I've had enough of your caveats and protecting your reputation with nuanced and cap- Alex, just give how long, give me a straight answer. Even if it's a guess. I'm going to make it worse because without sounding like a really old man, you actually never stop learning oh, God. the track. Oh, all right, oh. Dad. Because, I mean, Jesus. You, because yeah. especially with oh. especially with cart tracks, for example, the grip changes. They make track surface changes. They change the carts. They change the tires. So you're always learning something new. In the chat room, I've just spotted a comment that says, yeah, ovals are pretty easy, though. You just, you know, turn left twice. Uh, and that's from Alex RB. Big respect, actually, because we on our iRacing uh, things that we do, we do three races of a, a track with the MX-5. Email me, spannersready at gmail.com if you want to get involved in that. Round one was so much fun. Uh, we do a, a, just a, a complete no points uh, oval race at the end. And boy, was that an experience, Matt. I, and, and I don't hate it. I actually found it really fun and tactical and nuanced and... I found I feel dirty, but I found a respect for oval racing. Yeah, I love personally rolling my car over and finishing the race without a pit stop. I think that was like, how can you not love racing like that? And, and then I went to do it on my own. I had a race where I got nudged into, I got nudged and then I, I, I flew yeah. into the pit lane and then I got a penalty for speeding in the pit lane because I was just like airborne through the pit lane. I was like, ah, oh, okay, fine. I'll have to. I'll have to work on that, uh, guys. We are. I'm going to ask Brad one more question, one more listener question from from uh, Richard Molden, and then I'm effectively going to wrap up the show, say goodbye to you guys, and then we're going to indulge ourselves in a little bit of a chat about our home sim setups. But since that's officially, we'll have officially ended the show. You can't get mad at us drowning on about that. So I will say to you guys, please follow the show at Mist Apex F1 on Twitter, me at Spanners Ready. Join our Facebook groups uh, by searching for Mist Apex Podcast. Subscribe to us, please, on your podcatcher of choice and go to YouTube, find us and subscribe to us there too. Also consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash Mist Apex. You can support this gentleman here, Matt Trumpets, by following his wife at A Weaver Writes and consider purchasing some of her mucky books. Matt is at MattPT55, very prolific. No, hang on, that can't be right. Prolific, got it, on Twitter. Nice one, so do go and follow him. My panel are underfollowed. Please go and follow all these guys. At MattPT55, our driver pro, Bradley Philpot at Bradley Philpot on Twitter. Uh, his YouTube channel is cool as well. Go and check out what we did at BRKC a couple of weekends ago where I was commentating. He's a fool, he lets me on the mic. And I just say stupid things and he's happy with it. And that's fine. And follow this guy too, at Alex Van Jean on Twitter. And uh, you can get in touch with him as well. Get in touch with him if you're interested in doing like PS4 racy, racy things. That's open to people, isn't it? Yeah, we've got a PS4 league. Me and Carl Powell are starting a PS4. Oh, oh, if Carl Powell's in there, then it's definitely worth doing. 
because they obviously they think, oh yeah. And he's rapid. <laughs> he's he is unbelievable at that game. Is he? Um, oh. I suck, but he's brilliant at it. <laughs> oh, Kyle Power, he's brilliant. Um, I just you said he was the nicest guy on track, and when I heard in my head, you know, go for it, make the move happen, make the move happen. The first person I unleashed that on was Kyle. And he was like a front runner at the Missed Apex event and I punted him and that put him into all sorts of trouble. He ended up spinning, felt pretty bad and he was really nice about it. In fact, I'm pretty sure he apologised. But please do follow all of our panel and and the show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. I think we're on Instagram as well. Uh, you can be my friend on Facebook too. Brad, got a question for you, bud. You all right? You, do you want a question? Is that okay? It's a bit of a yeah, personal one. Richard Molden says, I would love to know... Uh, Brad's racing plans in 2020, uh, and uh, and uh, as for driving questions, he he has uh, wants to know about your reliable. Uh, wants to know what a reliable midfield finisher can do in sim racing. Like, what's the single thing you can do to make a step change uh, in your finishing position? Now, as far as what you're doing, Brad, BRKC has become just a a massive event on the world karting scene. So please tell me. Please tell me that's not going anywhere and that I'm allowed to come and play on the mic still. Okay, yeah. So firstly, uh, British Rental Kart Championship, which which happens just over one weekend every January in Milton Keynes at Formula Fast. That is obviously still going strong and we will open entries for 2021 in August. So if you're a really good indoor karter and you want to come and try and beat the best in the world, um, head to... Uh, brkc.co.uk and you can have a look there we sold out in about three minutes um in 2019 <laughs> right, for okay. 2020 editions so it's, it's tough to get in oh um, and uh, and you are also because a lot of the polish guys come over from the polish leagues you're this year going over to the the polish national championships yeah so in um, april i'm heading over with a few of my teammates and some other brits to go and uh, have a crack at the the pikc which is the polish indoor kart championship and it's it's actually not really a particularly accurate name because there's a large outdoor section on the track it's a really massive tarmac circuit with fast carts inside a hotel believe it or not um, and it goes outside as well in a big loop it looks super cool so i'm looking forward to that I think hopefully I'll do better than I did at the, the British. And I know your your karting team, uh, squ- what's the pronunciation? Squaduro Furio. What Squadra you- Furio. It's just, we, we wanted to sound Italian. I'm sure there's loads of examples of that in but motorsport. You where- and Johnny are British and the other lad is Spanish. Yeah, that's right. What? We just thought it sounded cool. Okay, um, fair enough. We, we had a rubbish name before. Anyway, in terms of my own racing plans this year, um, no more car racing for me this year. Um, I did three seasons of VLN. Um, we came third in the TCR Championship, and then we won the SP2T Touring Car Championship at the Nürburgring the last two years. Um, but the the team have decided not to continue. Um, and that means for me, uh, because I don't have any big budget or personal sponsors um, of, of the like, that's the end of my car racing for the foreseeable future. Um, but I'm around. If anyone wants to stick me in a car in uh, in the UK or worldwide, I'm, I'm still licensed and stupidly fast. So please grab me. And the thing is, you're me. not you're not lying, and it, we we've known you for many many years now. And I'm sure Alex, you'll join me in saying it is absolutely disgusting that this man is not in a fast drive, uh, and and, and it, it kind of highlights for me like the strollification of motorsport that Brad isn't just driving super fast cars for a top team. He's also really modest. <laughs> Have you noticed that? No racing drivers um, are modest. I, I, I really wish we could share some of the comments that go on in our, in our WhatsApp group, but I won't. No, I nope. listen, all, 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 joke, all jokes aside, I've been in a car with Brad around the Nürburgring. I've been, he's instructed me 
various times around Palmer's and he's very, very good at what he does. There's some other little stories behind the scenes, which again, I don't think we can share that I Why? know where I know he's quick enough to be in certain very high level series. Look, we know, we know, we know, green. we know he's faster than guys, you guys listening to this have heard of. And we know that for an absolute fact. And I know Brad would never be so immodest to name names, but I'll probably tell you if you email me. Uh, Matt, you were going to get I in. Just can I just tell yeah, people? Yeah, fine, go on then. Yeah. Did go for it. I mean, I, I doubt it's not really going to affect my career. You know, this might this might be a bit more what juicy. What career? So I used to I used to do um, uh, some by working at Motorsport Vision, who ran the um, the Formula Four BRDC Championship, which then evolved into British Formula Three. Um, obviously, Jonathan Palmer, who is Jolian Palmer's dad, uh, owns Motorsport Vision and a lot of the circuits in the UK. So he used to be my boss for twelve years, and I got to do lots, uh, quite a bit of Formula Four and then Formula Three testing in the afternoons and evenings and lunch times and that kind of thing um, whilst at Bedford Autodrome. And, and there were a couple of occasions where Jolie and Palmer would have um, come and done, done a test in the, in the F3 or the F4 car and set certain lap times. And then I get the privilege of going out on his very used tires the next day and absolutely obliterate his lap times. But, um, but yeah, anyway, that's, that's the kind of thing. Well, I've got plenty of other stories like that too. But you're, All you're doing is saying things that, that are true. And you know, I, I don't want to push too personally, but you know, I find it frustrating about how much of a factor money plays over talent without wanting you to like spill your bitter blood over, over our podcast. Like that must ring true, especially for yourself, uh, for someone who's tried to make a career in racing. I have a very realistic view of it all. So I, I never had any... Um, uh, I never had any illusions uh, when I was a lot younger that I would suddenly come into lots of money or or land the big budget sponsor. So I'm actually extremely grateful for all the racing that I've I've managed to do over the years, uh, including all of the kind of scholarship events that uh, that I've won and that have then allowed me to do various other races like the like the Peugeot um, 208 GTI racing experience and uh, a few others over the years. Obviously, the Race of Champions wild card entry, that kind of thing. So I'm very very grateful for those things, and that's that's what's kind of allowed me to do the the racing at the Nürburgring for the last three years. And I've got to drink lots of beer with some very cool German people and raise lots of trophies and, um, and, and get lots of cool photos and videos. But I would love to, to do a bit more of it or carry on. But, but just to fully answer the question, which we never actually answered, my racing plans for this year, some go-karting, rental karting, <laughs> some indoor kart championships, that's it. Yeah, and abandoning missed apex just to go and just to go and race in a national championship. Priorities, Trump Trumpets. I mean, you wouldn't give up your missed apex spot to compete with the very best drivers in the world and and have a chance to show off your incredible karting talents. Yeah, I, I'm trying not to feel personally slighted here, but every time <laughs> I've come over to go karting, okay. Brad has said that he would help me. And somehow he wound up helping spanners or my flight was delayed. And now finally, I'm like, this is the trip that I get the Brad advice that will help me win the A championship when he's not there. And he's going to be somewhere else. And I will say, having having a coach in your ear, like Brad did with me, instantly took half a second off of a, a 50 Uh, a 50 second lap Uh, thank you very much for joining us here at missed apex podcast i hope you don't mind us having indulged in a little bit of driving like we say we just think it's a core part of being a motorsport fan so whatever level you're at go and get a secondhand copy of like the f1 game from like five years ago it's still fun you can still race it on your controller. Take the racing line off. You're not Chris Stevens. It's still fun with the controllers. You can still have you know varying amounts of acceleration and and uh, the the un acceleration button. Forget the name of it. 
but you can also get involved with a cheap steering wheel. When you look at hobbies out there, football, you have to get your shin pads, you have to pay your match fees, you have to pay subs every week. If you want a hobby like ice skating or ice hockey, you have to buy all the padding. Sim racing is a hobby like any other, and you, it is accessible. So I would encourage people, just go and start with a, a rubbish wheel and just do it on your your computer monitor, which is exactly how I started trying to get into iRacing. I've slowly built up to a point where actually I feel like I can take it medium seriously at the level I'm at. So I'm going to bring this show officially to a, an end here. However, if you want to hang around for a bit, little bit longer, we might indulge and talk about some sim racing stuff. So let's talk a little bit of gear. Gene Z, you had Hi. your hand up before the thing. Oh, yeah. Um, if you want to get started in sim racing, there's um, there's a main sim group on Facebook um, and they're always someone always selling some secondhand piece of equipment. So if you want to get yourself started, that's a really good place to go um, and for advice and things like that. It's a bit elitist, but... Now, Matt, now Matt has, is mouthing to me comment of the week. It's an incorrect challenge because although we've wrapped up that bit of the show, we are still talking. And all you have done is reminded me of comment of the week now. So I definitely, I definitely, definitely won't forget. But Matt, when you uh, you wanted to get involved with uh, the iRacing uh, stuff that we do, you didn't have any of the gear, but you're a great example of you went, oh, I don't care, whatever. I'm just, I'm, I'm going to do it with a Xbox controller. I'm just going to have a go. And that just having a go sparked something where you went, oh, actually, down the line, I want to pick up a second-hand wheel. Down the line, I want to experiment. In fact, didn't I, I sent you a, a VR headset, didn't I, that, that one of the listeners yeah. had sent. Uh, and, and you can kind of build it up very slowly until you get, until you get sucked into it and it causes domestic arguments. Yes, I, I'm, I'm looking for I, – I was able to pass off my new monitor happily enough as a business expense. <laughs> so I highly recommend yeah, – I just fair. needed more real estate, dear. As an excuse. Um, yeah, no, I had asked, uh, the, I think Brad had recommended a particular wheel is being, is being good. And I got it. And I was actually somewhat disappointed that it, I wasn't immediately like five seconds a lap faster than I was on the controller. So, so don't kid yourself. Oh, no, uh, hang on a minute. I do not notice the difference. From che- I, I thought you were on the controller. You got the wheel and you didn't tell me. And then I saw you ahead of me and I was trying to catch you up. And I was like, it's taken a really long time to catch up with you. And that's when you got the wheel. So certainly that did make a difference. Uh, but um, speaking to Jeansy, one of the the biggest differences we've had, I've had in kit here for me and Treeface was getting the play seat. So we went and found a play seat off of uh, Facebook. And I don't normally buy stuff off Facebook, but I noticed that the person who was selling it Oh, you have mutual friends, uh, Alex Van Jean and Carl Power. So I was able to like message you guys and say like, is this guy, is this guy all right? You know, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. So it was a proper bargain, but getting like a proper setup for your sim racing is, is, is amazing just for consistency. Well, for me, I mean, I've got, you know, as I do my podcast, I do it in my lounge. I do my sim racing in my lounge. And the key thing for me was was a seat you know i had a stand that i used a seat before which wasn't very good and it was never very comfortable and i found what you've got which is the play seat challenge and the brilliant thing about the play seat challenge you sit like you would do you can get it right so you can sit like you would do an f1 car you can elevate your feet but it folds away in about three seconds yes which 
is so useful. So mine is in the corner of, of my room, folded up. You can't really, well, you can see it. It's hidden. It's hidden behind my hospital chair at the moment. Okay. It's, um, it's, uh, it's hidden enough to not cause any spousal grief. Yeah. Okay. But what, what Alex has failed to realize is that he's got his chroma key set with his new fancy green screen. So a lot of the stuff in your room was green <laughs> and it just looked really weird. But thanks for showing us that, Matt. So what you're saying is I might be either more consistent or faster if I stopped racing in a hundred year old office chair with wheels on it and yep. actually got something solid. So for ages, I've, I've been just clamping a steering wheel here to this desk and then I've got like a swivel chair. I think I even did it on a stool. So one of the events I was on a stool on a swivel chair and every time I braked, I was like, oh, crap, I'm going to fall off this stool. EJ Hammer makes a really good point, which is ironing board in front of the TV in a lounge chair. That is how I started. Is it? Ironing board? That is, that is exactly wow. how I started. I had an ironing board. I had my, I had the, I had the, um, PlayStation, no, Xbox 360 wheel and one of those really perpendicular lounge, uh, dining room table chairs. And there's a brilliant picture of, um, my dad playing on it and the pedals are pushed like at a really weird angle and he can't reach the brake and then ends up not being able to find the brakes <laughs> at the end. And that's how I started. And my ironing board definitely broke because I used, I, I ironed too much, not because I was too aggressive. Yeah, over ironing is, a, is one of the biggest plagues of the nation. I'll just get Brad's attention for a second though, because uh, we have very different approaches to equipment. So whereas I will get like the eight year old, version of the vr like the very first version of the vr second hand off ebay just so i can have it and try it for you it's like if it's not the best thing then i'm just not going to bother yeah i'm distracted by knowing that it's not as good as it could be so we had this conversation the other day i had my my sim set up in the garage with my triple screens that were yeah, the best great. most expensive ones i could get with the fastest refresh rate to try and make it as instantaneous and, and responsive as possible Becca. Um, and tell his uh, she, I think she knows now. Um, I've, I've, and now I've actually sold two of those screens. I've got one that I'm, I'm viewing this on right now. Um, but I'm going to move to VR when we move to our new house. Um, it's a, so much time. better. It's but so much better. I, I can't deal with getting a normal one. I've tried this Valve Index, which is a really you know nice next gen, um, faster refresh rate, etc. Um, wider field of view. VR and that's all I want now. I, I can't go with a cheaper one. I need the best one. So I'll Is just wait until I use that VR center. Um, no, much better than that one. Oh no, oh, okay. no, actually, it depends which VR center the, you came to with me. Because the, of... the one we did that, the one where you slow down and everything slows down with me, you and Johnny on your birthday. Um, super if it's, hot. If it's the one, yeah, if it's super hot in the Xscape center underneath the, the ski slope. Yes, all right, no nice. brand names unless they're giving me money. Uh, trumpets. I was going to ask if he if he was referencing the um, I can't remember the name of it, but there's like a 4K one that's open source that I know some racers use. But you're talking about the new one that Valve has released. You've you've tried that and you like it. Yeah, it's really really good, really good. Okay, so I do have a question. Talking to Alex and Brad, you talk a lot about consistency, and I know from listening, you talk about your laps, Brad. That although you're very proud of being fast, you're even more prouder of being consistent and yes i did that as on purpose as a joke american um, so what what should i think of as being consistent like say in i race oh that's a good question at at buckmore because like you you're like oh yeah i'm nailing laps to within a hundredth what should i think what should i go and say oh here's my number for consistency yeah and uh, occasionally like we'll look at your lap times and someone will go, oh, you're only four tenths off Brad's lap time. That's really good. I'm like, yeah, 
But Brad does that every lap. It's like a top yeah. golfer. Like you might get, chip in something from 75 yards once in your life and they'll do it a thousand times. Yeah. When, when can I be proud of my consistency? I think a real good target for you guys at the moment would be to be within half a second each lap. Half a oh. second doesn't sound like very much when you, when you voice it like that. But actually, in reality, once, you're, once you know the track and once you're, you know, uh, the, you guys are both at a decent standard karting you. You both won races now. You've done quite a number of laps around Buckmore Park in particular. I would expect that you'd be able to lap within half a second of each lap, obviously barring Whoa. external factors like other carts getting in the way. If you were just on your own doing a session with no traffic, that's half a, good... a second would be pretty decent. I mean, and that's quite a long lap as well. So I'm holding you to a reasonably high standard. <laughs> okay, we'll go for that. This year, Matt, we are definitely going to try and arrange some practice sessions before that. Yeah. Like I am all in, like I am. Van Jean, he mocked me, but I said, I'm there to win. Brad's not racing this time. Alex has got a, a spousal birthday. Uh, all I've got is Kyle Power, who will just politely get out of my way when I when I punt him. And, and I've beaten all the other fast guys because they just spin around. So that's fine. I, I, I think I'm going to win it, Alex. There we go. So there we go. Um, <laughs> if, by the way, if, you've, you've, you've got a shot, but... <laughs> You have to have me in your head. Yep. And you have to go for those moves. If you don't, you won't win. Um, You know, there are a few guys there who are, who, you know, without me there, without Brad there, are going to be kind of desperate to win that. Um, It's great for Callister. Very, very quick. He can, he he can quite easily win that. Kyle can win that. Um, Isn't Pip Hammond going? Yes, certainly is. He was a 750. I know, I know Pip hasn't done much karting, but he's a good racer. I mean, early, I mean, early. This, I mean, early negotiations with a, a known F1 media entity that is very fast on a kart track that will probably c- just come and win it and, and ruin it for everyone. Brad? I just realised that in my haste to tell everyone how good I was earlier, I didn't actually answer the, the second part of, of that listener's question, which was um, how to go from being a, a middle of the road sim racer yes. to, to kind of making the next There's step. There's the modesty again. Um, so... I just wanted to quickly address that. It's not probably going to be the best answer ever, but um, you reminded me of it when Alex was talking to you about him being in your ear at the, the cart track. So I think probably the best advice I could give to move from being middle of the road to taking that next step is never leaving anything on the table. Like always constantly monitor whether or not maybe you could have pushed a bit harder. If it feels too easy, if you're if you're too easily getting round with, you know, never making a mistake, never... Uh, you know, never running wide, never, never having big moments, but you're also not the fastest, then you're leaving too much time on the table. And it just really forcing yourself to look for the extra time in a similar way to during a wet session where you might not know the track, you might not know those conditions. um, The best drivers will be always searching for where the grip is. They won't just drive around thinking, okay, I'm getting around without crashing. This is fine. They're always trying to find the, the extra speed and you need to do that in in all situations. So maybe that's, that's where to just a slight mental change to make that next step. Um, yeah. And where he talks about finding that extra is, you know, things like using all the circuit. I know it's said, I know it's talked about a lot, but making sure before the entry to the corner, you're as far away on the far right hand side before a left hander that you can, that you can be. And then you're bang on the apex. And then you, as soon as you're at the apex, you let that drag out wide so you're as straight as possible so you're on the power as early as possible going straight and you go towards the exit um the exit part of the corner all those little things make make minute differences that add up to a big difference at the end of the lap okay then fantastic let's wrap that up there and uh just a reminder that we're going to be speaking to joe sayward 
on Tuesday daytime. So that will be available for your Wednesday morning commute. So those of you that feel that we skimped a little bit on Formula One specifically in this episode, believe me, we are going to be going a, a deep way into the recent news stories that have come out over the past few weeks. So all that's left for me to do is disappoint Matt by saying I did remember comment of the week. I, I can't find the button right now. Hang on a second. I need to get my reading. Gl- there it is. Comment of the week. Crazy the amount of participation we've had in our chat rooms all through the winter. Thank you so much for keeping us company. Please do go and tell your friends that when, if they're podcast fans and they're F1 fans, just tell them we have a nice chat here. We have the same arguments and discussions that you guys are having at work as well. Uh, we, we try to be as informed as we can. But deep down, this podcast is based around me and Matt yelling at each other. Matt, I'm, I'm so sure that Matt often will agree with me and just go, ah, oh, you think that? Well, then you must be wrong. I'll find out why you are. Matt, comment of the week. What we got? Uh, You may have me pegged there. Uh, I feel bad. I've actually missed a question for Brad. It was from Darren Johnston. And it was, how do you cope with trackside distractions? E.g. going to a corner and see the very handsome at-mat trumpets in the crowd. Don't answer that. It's a trap. I would love to just answer this because there are some really big trackside distractions at some events. In In the middle of the night at the Nürburgring 24 hours in 2013, I came over Flansgarten 2, which is like a, a big kind of, it's almost like a waterfall kind of a drop. It's a massive drop around uh, two thirds of the way through the lap. And it's pitch black. There's obviously no lighting on the circuit, but you do have fans next to the track. And I could smell burgers. And there was a giant real life McDonald's drive through sign, which had been erected in the forest that someone had clearly stolen and lit up in the bright yellow and red. And that kind of thing can be distracting when you're trying to focus on the race. Um, but most of the time, you're pretty much focused on the next turning point. And then just before you get to the turning point, your vision flicks to the apex. So you don't have that much time for, for trackside distractions. I definitely can admit to, have, to watching myself on the TV going down the straight sometimes <laughs> uh, at some race. Speaking of distractions, we've been distracted from comment of the week, Matt. Give us your candidates. Darren Johnson, you can't win no matter how much you try and help us loads like you have been recently thank you darren right so i'll start with ray thompson uh how to make a million dollars first make billions then invest in aston martin yep definitely loads of that coming up on tuesday stay tuned to mistake Apex podcast and it's rare that i have a name that i really don't know how to pronounce but this is definitely one of them Recoms ajnag no, no, i no, usually no, Matt, end up Matt, turning just say it with more confidence yeah. just say it quickly and you're fine Okay, thanks, thanks, thanks. Anyway, exactly what he said. I usually end up turning right on ovals. That's not good. Did, did are, right? Good. Really stupid question. Are all ovals left-handed? Are they uh, all of them? Yeah, uh, that's not most as, of them are. That's not yeah. stupid a question as it seemed. Everyone's kind of going, are they? Would love it. Yeah. Spannersready at gmail dot com. Let me know, Matt. What are the presumably seventeen more candidates for comment of the week? No, not 17 more. Uh, Mark Skid, appropriately named. Nice. As I get older, my flow isn't as good when we're talking about being in the flow state. And I have to like sort of like, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I'm, so, so that's a serious point about how he's unable to maintain the racing flow as his age increases. Okay, good. There's nothing yeah, else I, to be read into that. Good. No, nothing at all. Nope, nope, nope. Sam Watley is in. If you approach the water from an arrow or angle, you have more to work. You have more work to do. Marcus Erickson, 2016. Uh, we're getting there. Mark Skid, 
if you find yourself on top of the tire wall, you've missed your breaking point. <laughs> okay. I don't know. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Or for Van Jean, uh, it's if you find yourself colliding with David Hatton, you've missed your breaking point. Can I address David Hatton? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> can I address this? The bit, but fine, go ahead. Interrupt can I the address bit. this? So the whole David Hatton thing, to be fair... You shouldn't complain about the David Hatton thing because it gave you your it gave you your video clip which you love so much. Um, so this was at Rye House. This was the third or fourth missed Apex event, and I was catching David Hatton um, having started near the back, and Kyle was behind me, not far was not far behind me. And Rye House is a very difficult track to overtake on if you've got somebody who knows what they're doing. He's in the, and you can knows- you can see my my video on my YouTube channel. Sixteen overtakes in one lap. If you search for that. David know and and David knew what he was doing, um, and but he was very. There's a corner called Stadium, which is a long, increasing radius corner to the right, which then goes off to the left. And David was going very slowly through that corner, and I was nudging him to try and get him to go quicker because I had Kyle all over me. And if I left the door open for Kyle, Kyle would have dove in. So it was more to keep David ahead and keep me ahead, and I him and he went a little bit wide and I, comp- and I compensated from it but and that's the story corner, of how van jean punted hatton and created a gap that he then went through comment of the week gosh gosh darn it everyone i just want to get through comment of the week please staying focused uh david hatton is now suddenly in with <laughs> push to pass van jean okay that wins so there good uh, no, that's the winner there's no, no more i no i feel bad for the people that i picked up now i didn't get to read them. go on then Hatton wins though. I hammer. Could the reason for Alex Van Jean deep voice be that his microphone is broken from being headbutted, which I just thought was a general fun thing. Oh, Lydia Cruz is in with the very clever Trailbreakers, an animated kid show chronicling the adventure of super hip posse of young racers. And I do believe that would be that. Would Good. Be that. The winner of Comment of the Week is David Hatton. Comment of the Week. Well done. Add that to your Twitter bio. Thank you very much to my panellists, Matt Trumpets, Bradley Philpott, Alex Van Jean, and thank you from me, Richard Spanners Ready. Wherever we see you next, be brave, because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Well, I mean... Something that can be said for this episode, without doubt, is that it it continued for a long time. Like it definitely went on for ages. And I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get away with my fake ending after about an hour and say, "Well, that was the real serious bit." Now, now this bit is all deliberately rubbish and unstructured. But please forgive us for that, and don't take that against us. In, in to be fair, we only lost seventeen people from from the live stream when we started just completely waffling self-indulgently, of which I approve of all of that, except for Alex's 17-minute diversion to somehow assuage yeah, his guilt was, from like was... the, in, the most indefensible... I have no part. guilt. I do not feel guilty in the slightest about it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare insurance plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're say between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare insurance plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.